The Start. On Demand. On Demand. We had a great time today talking about your collections. On Wednesday, Jill texted us some pictures of her husband Ian's Transformers collection. So we talked to him about his impressive collection, and we talked to you about your collections. More questions about the vaccine and the vaccine rollout, including hesitation over some of the vaccines based on the side effects that some have experienced. Also questions about what further restrictions could be coming to Manitoba. Will we have to wear masks outdoors? And the spring market for Third and Bird is this weekend, bringing together dozens of local makers and creators, but this time with the variants looming. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, April 15th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. We have lots of fun things we want to talk about today, including your crazy collections, and we'll discuss that in a moment. But we also have a lot of stuff today to talk about. COVID, and I know that there is a lot of COVID fatigue. There's a lot of fatigue in terms of hearing about it. But, you know, Greg, you put it at a, in a way that I think sort of nails it. It feels like we might be at a, at a tip, another tipping point, a tipping point again. Yeah, it does feel that way. And good morning, Brett. Good morning, Loren. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this uh, vaccine rollout, I know, has got a lot of people almost divided, right, Loren? There's the whole notion of uh, do we have a situation with vaccine hesitancy? Is the rollout going the way it ought to? The province says that they're happy with the, the way that it's going. But when I look around and I see people being able to drive up to a vaccination center in Regina at 48 years old without an appointment, get a vaccine. I'm scratching my head. Tom Broadbeck, our uh, colleague at the Winnipeg Free Press, doing some great work on this. And he posted last night, uh, I think, statistics that really point to the difference in philosophy and how we're getting this out. Saskatchewan has 92% of the vaccines that they have received into people's arms. Manitoba, 65%. So I'm not sure why the difference in philosophy in terms of holding on to stock and supply between the two provinces, it feels like a very, very different approach. Yeah, it has me wondering, is it the system that's in place in terms of just getting to those appointments? Um, Are there enough staff? We've heard a bit over the past few weeks about staffing shortages. Is it the location? Is it where they are that's keeping things a little bit going a little bit more slower than they'd like to? I mean, they say that it's going well, but there are people who would argue on the other end that it's not. And then one of the questions I do have is, is there a group of Manitobans or, or are there a group of Manitobans rather who are who haven't booked their appointments or haven't decided what they're going to do yet? And is that part of the issue? Is the demand actually there like it should be. I mean, personally speaking, I don't know what you guys, Brett, you can answer this. When my age group comes up, like I'm on the phone (laughs) and I'm getting that appointment done and I will take whatever vaccine I can get. And I'm wondering if that's the way the majority feel or if there's something different going on there as well. There's there's the getting that supply out. And then I am curious about how quickly the phone lines are burning up with the Manitobans who want to get it done. Because in that older age group, I think there was a more willingness to go because that's who we were worried about. Well, now we're talking about younger people getting these variants. And are there the 40s and 50-year-olds, the 30-year-olds who are thinking, yeah, nope, still sign me up? Or they're just like, oh, we'll see when it comes. Yeah, I'll be I'm, I'll be right there with you on the phone or online or whatever system, you know, two cans tied together with a string. <laughs> get, me, get me an appointment as soon as possible, especially when I hear about, you know, I have a friend who moved to uh, Indiana last year to be with her uh, her now husband and she's in her 30s so she's 10 years younger than me and she's getting vaccinated this week by the way she's getting vaccinated at indianapolis motor speedway which in itself is pretty cool so she's 33 i think she's around 33 Th- yeah. wow 
and she's already getting vaccinated this week. Uh, so when I hear about that, that's frustrating, right? It just it, like their pop, the population of Indiana is, I think, 6.7 million. So five times the amount of people as there is in Manitoba. And here we are. I'm 43 and I have no idea when I'm getting a vaccination. Like it's not even on my radar yet. So that's frustrating. So lots to discuss this morning at 7.07. Cynthia Carr, epidemiologist, is going to join us because uh, there's a possibility, I guess, Loren, of... Uh, having to wear masks outdoors, a new mandate. Yeah, well, I mean, this is just a possibility. It was floated earlier this week by Dr. Brent Rusin because while we wait for the needles to get into arms, and it feels like we've been saying that over and over again for weeks now, while we wait to have this ramp up, we're at that tipping point, as you mentioned, Greg, with the variants rising. We've been talking for weeks about what's going on in other parts of the province, and nobody here wants to see more restrictions come in place. The businesses, you know, are struggling. We know there's all sorts of concerns out there, but there is a but here. You know, while we wait for those vaccines, we don't want the cases to climb again and put the hospitals in a serious situation. So Dr. Rusin floated earlier this week that, yeah, maybe more restrictions could be coming. That could have to do with gatherings. It could have to do with indoor activities. And because we have seen some spread outdoors, he even mentioned the possibility of a mask use policy or maybe even a mask mandate outdoors. And I, I wonder how people are going to feel about that. Yeah, I'm sure people wouldn't be incredibly happy about it. But if you can justify and tell me why I need to do it, hey, I'm I'm on board. It's It's not the biggest imposition in the world when it comes to wearing a mask, although I have to confess... I have to confess, one of the things that is nice, Brett, about being home is that every time I get up from my desk, I don't have to do the checklist and make sure that one of the things I do before I get up is put on my mask. I can go up to the bathroom with, without having to do that. And that's a, a very minor thing, but it is it is in the back of my head. And I did take note of it yesterday. Uh, Alberta moving uh, Calgary, both their Catholic schools and their public schools going to remote learning starting next week. So once again, if if you're comfortable with the, where the test positivity rate it went down yesterday in Winnipeg and Manitoba, where we are in Manitoba, that that's great. But to be realistic, in my mind, you got to look around at what's going on on all sides of us. And uh, Alberta is in a little bit of a pickle. We know Ontario is in a really tough situation, and. Then I look at Saskatchewan. They've been in a tough situation, but they are in this race against the variants, against COVID-19, and they seem to be winning it with regard to the vaccine. So I think it's prudent to look around and see what's going on, not only to predict what we might be dealing with here, but also how do we deal with it? Let's get advice from people who seem to be doing it well. Also, if they do mandate an outdoor mask situation, there's going to be some hilarious sunburns in the next few weeks. So uh, <laughs> looking because if, wow. if I'm this at the pasty golf... redhead never thought about that one, Brett. <laughs> yeah. uh, if I have to wear a mask for five hours at the golf course or something, it's going to be uh, I'm going to look like a. Ooh, well, man. I get sunburned by the window sometimes. <laughs> I've gotten a sunburn in my car. Yeah, I remember you saying that last year. Just yeah. a sweet one-arm burn. <laughs> yes. One side of the face, one burn. Well, now the Max will protect you from that if you wear it all the time. Oh, uh, yes, Think of perhaps. it that way. In our next segment... We're talking about your collections. What do you collect? What have you collected? What do you wish your spouse would stop collecting? Yesterday, listener Jill sent us pictures of her husband Ian's Transformers collection. It is majestic. We're going to talk to him at 9.35. But in the meantime, tell us about your collections we're seeing. Have you seen these pictures from Adrian at 204-780-6868 on this Kiss collection, GMAC? Oh. Oh, absolutely. And what an ingenious way to display them he's got them in his kitchen cupboards he says he lives in a smaller apartment now or a condo and so he's had to sort of consolidate his collection and i said to him i said i would love to be at your house and stumble upon this fantastic kiss collection as i look but it's not records right it's like a is it some Mm -hmm. records or books it's more just kiss paraphernalia like a lot of the ton hanging out a lot of gene simmons absolutely and uh oh my gosh are those Hello Kitty kiss versions? <laughs> I only saw the, oh my word, these other pictures I just stumbled upon, is this what it used to look like? I'm not oh, in his, t- oh, his bedroom, oh man, posters, uh, pillows. 
Oh boy. If, if you're on a if you're on a we'll say a third date and uh it goes a certain way, <laughs> are you walking in and walking out, Loren? Like uh I know sometimes my hockey stuff used to send the wrong signal. Never mind uh the, the kiss the four kiss pillows across the top. Yeah, of like the do bed. you wanna make out with your date or those pillows? That's a lot going on there. I like it, Adrian. I think that probably needs to be clarified uh right out of the gate. I went on a date in fall twenty nineteen with somebody who was a big big fan of Pink Floyd and after the date I just joked we were talking on Facebook Messenger, I joked with her, I said, Ah, Pink Floyd sucks anyway. And she straight up blocked me instantly. No, like date over. <laughs> yep. Not even gonna wow. <laughs> so whatever, I, I don't like Pink Floyd, so uh, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked. In the meantime, keep those texts coming two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. And just very quickly here, Loren, uh, what are we talking about after seven uh, o'clock? We're going to visit with our epidemiologist Cynthia Carr and ask her about what masks outdoors could do to change things right now and whether or not that works what we're seeing when it comes to the spread outdoors. Because Dr. Brent Rusin hinted earlier this week that if the variant cases don't continue to rise and we continue to see this rise in cases overall or at least the trend that it doesn't dip lower then we might see some more restrictions coming as earlier this week as this week at least the announcement of them and so we're going to chat about that and masks and outdoor spread a temporary pop-up vaccine clinic could soon be coming to winnipeg it's a move the task force says will help get shots in arms faster, but some say the focus should be elsewhere. Global's Brittany Greenslade explains. Variant cases are increasing and Manitoba is battling the beginning of its third wave. Our numbers are going up. Uh, we're, we're starting our third wave in Manitoba and um, largely because we've immunized our older populations, we're seeing cases in younger populations. It's leading the vaccine task force to shift away from small rural pop-ups, which are slower, and open a large pop-up site within Winnipeg as early as next week. We may have to balance a bit more towards speed. For the short uh, term, uh, expect fewer but uh, faster options. Once we have more supply and we have been able to immunize a larger portion of people, we can return to more pop-ups to ensure broader convenience across the province. It could mean more than 9,000 doses a week of Moderna are shifted away from smaller rural areas into the province's densely populated capital, which could also signal a shift in eligibility. Mayor Brian Bowman says essential workers should top the priority list. Our police, for example, as well as other essential workers like transit, uh, you know, in the broader community, teachers and others who are at increased exposure to risk. A 40-year-old that works at home in their basement that is reasonably isolated from the broader community is very different than a 40-year-old police officer who's out on the streets in the community. Medical lead Dr. Joss Reimer says it's being considered, along with a pop-up clinic to vaccinate the city's homeless population. Our team of experts is, is trying to fine-tune to figure out amongst uh, workers, amongst uh, people according to where they live, you know, who really is at highest risk because the numbers are shifting. And while no specifics were outlined, the doctor says they're working on the details. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. So along with this new vaccination site that could potentially open in Winnipeg next week, this pop-up site, the province also has a plan for a second super site, which would be in Steinbeck, and it could open uh, in May, Greg. So, you know, this Manitoba-Saskatchewan comparison thing, I, I know a lot of people are worked up about it. I'm bothered by it, too, because it just doesn't add up to me. And let's get this out of the way right off the bat. I, I don't think anybody's arguing with the fact that the federal government dropped the ball several times along the way in terms of making sure that, that we had enough vaccines versus uh, the rest of the world, certainly versus the United States and and the United Kingdom in particular. So, so th that aside, what's frustrating for a lot of people is what are you doing with the vaccines that you have? And I know I cited this statistic earlier about a half hour ago, but for those that are just joining us, Saskatchewan has has distributed and put into people's bodies 92% of the vaccine that they've received. Manitoba, for some reason, has only distributed and injected 65% of the vaccine. And I'm still curious, I'm wondering what the difference in philosophy is in terms of holding on to and making sure that there's this stockpile of vaccines, because this is a race against time. I know it's not a race between Manitoba and Saskatchewan. It's not the Banjo Bowl. I get that, 
But what are we doing with the supply that we have? And Saskatchewan just seems to be doing such a great job in this race against time. How do we emulate it? How do we how do we make it better? Because it, it it can clearly be better. It's just not happening here right now. Yesterday I mentioned there's this new seven hundred dollars seven hundred dollar US. Optimus Prime Transformer that transforms itself and it talks to you. It's got Peter Cullen's voice and everything. It looks so cool. And in response to this, listener Jill sent us pictures of her husband's Transformers collection. Her husband, Ian, we've posted those pictures on our Instagram at 680CJOB. It's wild. And Ian's going to join us at 935. But in the meantime, we want to talk about the stuff you have collected. And if you've got pictures, send us a pic at 204-780-6868. to win a $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. And uh, Greg, you already posted something on Twitter, something that you collect. What what have you got? Well, I collect far too many things, uh, but it all started for me with badges or buttons, some people call them. They're those uh, circular things. They're about two inches across, most of them. You can get bigger ones, and you can collect them from different places, different sports teams, and I've probably got I don't know, five or 600 of them in my collection. And it, it really started with hockey stuff. And so uh, that was the beginning, the genesis, if you will, of a hockey collection that is far too large. I love it, but you can imagine that uh, maybe only three out of four people in our house love it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Poitras, what about you? Oh, I'm all over the map. I'm kind of like Greg. I, I, I get into kicks, right? So this month I'm into books. So I've been reading a lot lately. And last month I was into fountain pens. And the <laughs> month before that I was into collecting LPs. And then I was into video games. And then I was into movies. And I, I'm all over the place. Like I just... I got I got tons of interests and I'm and I'm and I'm always you know just kind of going with the flow and how I feel. So right now I'm collecting books. Um, uh, like what kind of books? Well, it's particularly it's called hoarding, by the way. Well, yeah, it's also, yeah, it's called hoarding. <laughs> I, I throw out a lot of stuff, uh, lots of the times. Uh, right, it's just basically like Judaica and like Jewish books and stuff like that. Cool. I'm kind of just learning more about that as well as I kind of go on that journey myself. But uh, yeah, fountain pens and um, my my fiance's not too happy. You know, we're saving up for for a wedding and um, and, and as well and you know a, a, an addition on a on a home that we're going to purchase at some point or. Or, or you know, uh, and live in, and uh, I'm I'm talking about spending two hundred and fifty dollars on a fountain pen. So you can imagine how she feels about that. Uh, well, I think that sounds like a. I mean, you got to have a nice pen. Well, I, I got a nice tax return. I mean, I got to blow it on something, right? <laughs> uh, I can't Ron, just sit on that money. <laughs> Jeff Ron, what about you? So, Cam, what you're really saying is that for a wedding gift, you'd like all of us to sort of chip in and buy you a storage space for a year or something yeah, like that? Some, yeah, that would Pay work. for that yeah. for you? Yeah, that would Keep work. Keep all your stuff? <laughs> uh, for me, it's, it's less about intentionally collecting something as it is, you know, as more like accumulating. And for me, it's movies. I've got at least 400 Blu-rays and DVDs in my condo. So um, I could open a little blockbuster if we ever needed to go back to that style of renting movies again. But uh, that, that's the thing that keeps coming in and never going out of my place. It, it's definitely the movie titles. Tom Milroy has the most amazing movie collection I've ever seen. I remember when I went to his place and finally saw it because he bought. He went. He was buying. He would buy something new every Tuesday on new release yeah. Tuesday. Slide, stuff he hasn't seen before. Yeah, and I walked in and it was it. Yeah, it was almost as though you could hear that. Oh, you know, like the gates <laughs> of heaven opening wide as I looked at this. He's got like three thousand movies on his oh, shelves. Wow. Crazy. Uh, Forty. Uh, for me, it's band equipment. You know, when I was a teenager, I got. A drum kit, then I upgraded to another drum kit, sold the last one, and then, you know, got to have a PA system. Why not? So it starts off with two speakers, then I buy two more speakers, then I buy a subwoofer, then I buy another speaker, then I buy another subwoofer, and it turns out I got nine speakers now. <laughs> then you have to get microphones, and you have to get uh, drum mics, and then I'm like, hey, you know, I got all these speakers and all this equipment, so I might as well get a projector as well. So then I get a projector, then I get another projector, and then it's all at my parents' house. And- <laughs> And they're at the point where it's because I live in an apartment, so I can't have any of this stuff. And they're kind of like, you know, kind of poking at me like, hey, you know, 
you're gonna sell this stuff, and I just can't. I just I can't get rid of it. It's it means too much to me. You can you use those speakers as a surround sound system in your apartment? No, they're too big. <laughs> they're too big. <laughs> <laughs> hey Jeff. Yeah. Your mom and dad don't live too far from my house. What about you, Loren? Honestly, I, I don't mind collections when they're nice and organized. So people who have a passion and Greg's basement, for example, like your sports paraphernalia, it looks amazing. So I I dig that. If you've got a spot for it and like the movies and the Blu-rays, great. But I hate clutter. I'm the one in the house that if you bring stuff home, like the kids are into hockey cards lately or Pokemon stuff, I'll chuck it if it sits in the same spot for too long. Like it's gone. I can't stand <laughs> the piles. I can't stand the mess. Like they'll just say, where's my so-and-so? And I'm like, I don't know. And you know, their dad somewhere is rolling his eyes thinking she's throwing it out because I will throw it anything but i did when i was younger love these i hope you can hear this oh i think oh. I... Little music, little music box. Yeah. yeah. And so when I was younger, I just got really into these things. I like the different sounds, the different shapes, what they'd come in. So this one's this, from The Sound of Music, my favorite things. And it's these, I don't know why it's mice. It's three mice spinning around. But then it got kind of silly. Like I ended up with 15 of 15, maybe closer to 20 of them. And they're hard to move around. And so I only kept a couple that were really special. That one was from my siblings on my 18th birthday and I saved one for my grandparents and one for my mom because it also, you know, some of these collections, you feel like you have to explain yourself and like when you're, you're yeah. a young adult woman and someone, you know, comes into your apartment and you've got these kind of toys or these things that play like fancy music, you know, <laughs> I don't, you know, you're trying to explain yourself. You're like, never mind. Let's just get out of here. Let's go somewhere else. Right. So, Yeah. We need you to text us at 204-780-6868. The things you collect, the things that you have collected, like I used to collect Garbage Pail Kids stickers. Remember those? <laughs> I loved those. I forgot all about that. <laughs> and I still, I know I've still got them somewhere. I'm going to have to try to dig them out. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. I almost didn't make it back, guys. I think they've only got one elevator going right now uh, for 19 to 30 here at 201 Portage. And uh, a woman got on the elevator with me. She got off on 20, and then the elevator stopped on 22, I think. And a woman got on, and then she hit ground, and it went back down. So I had to to wait and try again and hope that it got got me to 30. So uh, excitement. Hearts pounding. That's a good way to get the adrenaline going. eh? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, nothing like a good panic to get you you fired up on a Thursday morning. Uh, As we wait to get more needles into arms of Manitobans, many are wondering if more restrictions could be coming to help control COVID spread. So we know the current public health orders, Brett, they're in place until the end of the month, but that doesn't mean they couldn't be amended sooner or maybe extended. And earlier this week, we were reminding listeners that Dr. Brent Rusin did hint that changes could be announced at some point this week. So we might hear something today or tomorrow about where this is going. And one of the hints that he gave is that, that there could be, depending on the numbers, depending on what they're seeing when it comes from how COVID is spreading in this province, maybe on the table, tighter restrictions for indoor gatherings indoor activities, maybe even an outdoor mask mandate. Epidemiologist Cynthia Carr is the founder of Epi Research and joins us now. Good morning, Cynthia. Good morning. So for a while now, I think many of us have had this assumption that whatever we do outside is fairly safe. What's changing in the last uh, weeks and months? Well, that's, that's a really good point, the way you just phrased it, fairly safe, in the sense of it's safer than indoors. We really, you know, focused a lot over the winter on, on letting people know about the much higher risk of um, contracting and spreading COVID-19 in indoor space with recirculated air and, you know, the importance of ventilation. But the truth is, we never said it was 100% safe. Nothing is right now. And, uh, you know, that's not meant to frighten people. That's just a statement of fact. And, you know, as these variants of concern sort of start to take over more in Canada, remember that increased transmissibility, that increased risk, that increases your risk outdoors as well. It's safe to say we're essentially not dealing with the same virus to a certain extent. You know, we're really not. And we, we have to remember that, that, 
you know, in Canada, we've gone almost a year without any great change in the virus. And maybe we started to feel comfortable. But, you know, just in the past, since December, uh, you know, that's the first time the B117 from the UK was found in Canada. There's already over 45,000 confirmed cases. You know, South African, we found in January 12th, P1 February 1st, and we're already up to close to 2,000 cases. So things are suddenly changing very quickly uh, since December, and uh, we need to react to that. Should we be making changes to indoor activity rules or indoor gatherings? You know, I would be more comfortable if if people uh, would keep their masks on, um, you know, even when they're visiting uh, people that they know that might be in their bubble. Uh, at this point in time, keep your masks on outdoors as well. We're already used to wearing them. I would encourage people to do that. Um, and, yeah, we, we know that, you know, this is transmitted from one person to another. So, you know, unfortunately, maybe we need to look at smaller uh, indoor gatherings again. Um, but but for me, it's more um, that consistency in mask wearing and, and keeping your, your bubble small. And, um, again, when it's your turn, please do get vaccinated. I mean, we are wearing masks to a great degree, depending on what your job might be, Cynthia, or the kids in school or the activities that they do require them to be on the ice or whatever with their masks on. I know people going to gyms are keeping their masks on, but lots of people might listen to this and think, a mask outside? So are there other jurisdictions that are doing that? And what's the effectiveness of adding that layer of protection, that mask, to an outdoor gathering? Well, I can tell you that data out of Alberta certainly showed that... uh, Outdoor gatherings were uh, accounting for a higher proportion of spread than uh, previously. So certainly that's occurring. And, you know, when we're outdoors, we tend to feel a little more comfortable. Maybe we get a little bit closer together. We spend more time together. So, you know, it's really, if you, you think about it, we're already used to wearing masks inside. Um, it would just be, again, that we're talking about multiple layers of protection um, to reduce risk right now with these variants being very good at spreading. Cynthia, a big part of your world is numbers and comparing jurisdictions and the way they're doing things and the way things are moving. Have you looked at the vaccine rollout at all? And we've been having this discussion looking at Saskatchewan in particular, where they have 90% or more of the vaccines that have been delivered have been delivered into people's arms, whereas in Manitoba, according to Tom Bread, Broadback, pardon me, at the Free Press says it's closer to 65% in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea of the difference of philosophy there? Or, or, or is there some accounting uh, gains going on there between the two provinces? What, what do you think's at play here? Well, certainly, uh, you know, the, the percentage of doses administered in Manitoba appears to be about 65%. Um, and, you know, we're, I, I don't know for sure if it's related to accessibility um, to different sites, to different communication strategies. I know that uh, in Saskatchewan there was at least one drive through site. I don't know if it's still open, but that was um, something that was tried and has been tried a lot in the States, of course, which is why uh, they're getting really good at kind of amping up their numbers as well. So, um, yeah, I don't know why uh, Saskatchewan is actually the best in Canada, at like 91%, followed by Alberta at about 83%. Um, and yeah, you're right that Manitoba is about 65%. So um, we need to learn better about um, do we need to pivot our strategy? Is there more mobile opportunities we need to look at? More communication? What are the barriers? Is it uh, the capacity or is it people showing up? Cynthia Carr, epidemiologist and the founder of Epi Research, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Cynthia, thank you very much for this. You're welcome. Listen to this text from Reese on collections. We're asking you to tell us about the things that you collect or the things that other people have collected or the things you wish people would stop collecting. Reese says, I was dating a girl once. She collected shoelaces. She had over 2,000 of them. It was wild and overwhelming. They were all hanging in a room, walls, and ceiling. Oh, boy. That's interesting. I'm not passing any judgment. Yeah, it would be kind of neat, actually, I think. I feel like it would it feel like it would, if you walk through the room, would it be like a series of cobwebs sort of grabbing at you? Is there what's behind the shoelaces? Did she ever have a shoelace emergency and thought never again and then started 
collecting. I've had shoelaces disappear. Like if you keep any, I don't know if you guys keep any boots or things in the garage or your storage room or whatever you might have. And I don't know if they just get eaten by mice or what happens. But the next year we'll roll around and you think, eh, why does the shoe have no shoelace in it? So maybe do, that's, do you think the mice can actually? I don't back think so. Back them out Greg. of the eyelets. I'm like I'm, I'm thinking yes, about that. They're clever. Those little oh, sons I, of I, you know I, what. I, hey, that's why I'm not saying uh, Loren mice can't do that. That's why I'm saying. Do you think they can? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just might. telling you it's happened. And you're like, either I put this shoe away, not noticing it was missing an entire shoelace, or there oh. is a wily mouse out there. And oh, uh, Herb is Uh-oh. saying, as a music, what is that? What is that? That is uh, our, our house alarm about to uh-huh. go off. Oh, so, okay. uh, <laughs> Hopefully the Winnipeg police uh, did not come. There's no emergency here. Just uh, just doing things out of order. Sorry, guys. I guess uh, the dogs need to go out. <laughs> Herb says, as a music enthusiast, my passion collecting was of LPs. At one time, I amassed 1,400 LPs. However, oh, when wow. you collect this many records, you... You lose the same amount of friends when you have to move. <laughs> it's true. You'd be like, I'm just leaving this heavy. box of LPs on the side. He's not even going to notice if he has this many. <laughs> Michaela just sent a photo of her dad's movie collection. And I don't know if you guys have seen this photo, but it's one, two, three, four, five, six shelves <gasps> that are, I think, wow. seven stories high. <laughs> and she would, or seven, seven shelves high and uh, three movies deep. She thinks it's definitely over a thousand, Michaela. I think oh, yeah. that's way over a thousand. Yeah, that's impressive. And like, still VHS tapes on that shelf. That's crazy. Good stuff. That's somebody who is dedicated to their collection craft. I've just posted on our 680 CJOB Instagrams a collection of your collections. I've already posted Adrian's stuff, the Kiss collection. You got to have a look at this stuff if you haven't seen these pictures. One of the pictures in the most recent post includes Greg, not Greg Mackling, but Greg Listener Greg and his collection of board games. And at first I thought this was a picture taken from Across the Board Cafe. Greg, have you ever been to Across the Board? My boys have been there for a birthday party, so I've been inside for exactly three and a half minutes. It is a very special place, very impressive collection of games. Loren, have you ever been to Across the oh, Board? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I've also done some stories there, too, and been in there. And I, it's great because it's what's crazy about it. I remember we had this conversation on board games before Christmas because, of course, board games in a lockdown is about the only one of the only few things you can do. And I can't get over the games I've never heard of before. And so this collection of board games is incredible from our listener. Yeah. So very well done, Greg. So we appreciate you sending that pic. And now if you want to see it, go to our Instagram at 680CJOB. This weekend... Something special happening in Winnipeg. If you want to, if you like collecting local things, probably no better place to go than the Third and Bird Spring Market. And we like to speak to Chandra Kremsky, founder of Third and Bird, when these markets pop up. So, Chandra, hello there. Hi. Good morning. So, last year your Christmas market was in late October, and I remember thinking it's a bit earlier than usual, but that turned out to be a good thing because. You got in just under the wire before everything shut down again. I did. I think I got under the wire by 72 hours, if I remember correctly. So what steps did you have to take for the Christmas market? For those not familiar with Third and Bird, by the way, it's uh, it's essentially an amassing of dozens of local makers and vendors, uh, all kinds of unique stuff. So what kind of, what steps did you have to take to make that market COVID safe? Yeah, lots of steps, like months of of prepping to to make it, you know, um, compliant with, you know, all the new health orders. And but you know what? It's been worth it because it's so important to support small businesses. And and many of these makers do not have retail storefronts. So they like totally depend on, you know, market retail experiences in order to, to do that. But we're really pleased that our fall market was such a success and we were able to do it really safely and, and, and we're doing that again this spring. So with the variants in play now, Chandra, have you made any changes? Are you altering the way you're doing this even versus all the safety requirements and the safety measures you had in place for the Christmas market? 
Yeah, so things that we changed, which I think are for the better, regardless, even if things were to go back to quote-unquote normal, um, all the tickets are sold online now, which means we get everybody's name, phone number, contact information, and we can instantly message everybody either through text or through email if any changes, you know, need to take place or, you know, in the worst case scenario, if we did need to get a hold of somebody, um, you know, we have contact tracing on everybody, which is just such a, it's it's nice to have that peace of mind that we know how to get a hold of everybody. And, and we do staggered entry, timed tickets, limited amount of people in the building at a time. So all of these things are now in play to, to make it more comfortable, more safe and in, and in compliance. I went to one of your events in the summer where you had um, some of these checks and balances in place and that's when our numbers were much lower. And it was a comfort to have the distance and the markers on the ground where you could stand and knowing that there was somebody really closely watching capacity limits and, and uh, it changed the experience a little bit. Uh, Chandra, but it made I still was happy knowing that I was in there buying some local items. I'm wearing one of my Clear Lake toques as we speak. So it, I get why you have to do these. And don't ask me why I'm wearing it in the basement. It's cold down here. But I'm also wondering, Chandra, Chandra was there any consideration? You know, it's such a balance for everybody right now, trying to figure out what's the best thing to do. And so you have businesses you want to support. Then you have this health concern. And was there any conversations at all about putting on that extra layer of protection or maybe not even doing the the third and bird at all just given everything that's going on yeah it's it is a very difficult balance and at the end of the day i look at it the same way like the government has deemed markets and farmers markets as essential service so regardless of what code we're under we are deemed essential because we sell food clothing and home essential items and so um the same way you know we go to say like you know the the like Costco or superstore grocery stores or um you know malls these are essential to our everyday and because I'm not an everyday 365 days a year mall um it is a market and it is considered essential and so I think it's important that we keep these small businesses alive and going because without these markets or farmers markets these small businesses will disappear and they're such a vital part of of you know our community yeah and i would argue sorry brett that you you have added more layers of covid security if that's the right term for it then you might have another shopping experiences in some of our bigger box stores well that's exactly it like you know because we have so much you know to lose we go you know above and beyond and so i have security outside i have you know we have you know, partners like Wallace and Wallace setting up fencing so we can help, you know, guide everybody, you know, to safely like keep their distance. I got staff walking the aisles, making sure people are staying distance. And these are over and above um, measures I put into place that maybe you wouldn't experience at a big box store, but I'm doing it as a local business because the safety of my staff, my family and shoppers and makers matter to me. And so doing these extra steps is just something that feels good to me as a business owner. Well, and it's one of the things too that that popped up at the beginning of the pandemic was uh, the push, the 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 extra push to support local and help these smaller businesses that were taking a hit. Uh, I mean, I've when I went into the the fall Christmas market, uh, I think it was twenty nineteen. I dropped five hundred bucks <laughs> in like thirty minutes. It's so easy to to walk in there and find stuff that you just can't find anywhere else. So it's a wonderful thing. Uh, the the fact that Third and Bird exists and it helps out. I don't know how many businesses. Like if these markets don't happen, you sort of touched on it there. Uh, like you couldn't do the spring twenty twenty market. How many businesses end up being affected? Being end up hurt by the fact that you can't open? Oh, absolutely. Like. Over 150 businesses were affected by that spring market being being shut down. And, you know, these markets bring in the gross revenue for makers, like as a total for the province, we bring in over $2 million of revenue that stays in our province that supports small businesses. 
And so that's huge amount of revenue for, for these makers per show. And it's so important that we keep supporting small businesses. But the only way to do it is through going to like markets and farmers markets and sourcing those out first before going to a big box store. Chandra, I was in a local retailer yesterday and uh, getting some stuff for supper and I was blown away by the local products that they have everything from spice rubs to coffee to tortilla chips and I just I had to wonder I knew that you were going to join us today and I I just always wonder how many of these makers how many of these uh, consolidators and marketers uh, get their start at third and bird that give them you know you mentioned the amount of revenue that it generates that gives them the money in order to maybe take their business from just being a, a twice a year event at third and bird to a website, to maybe a kiosk, to maybe distribution and other retailers. Do you have an idea of the impact that this has had over over the years? Yeah, you know, that's a great observation. And it's been a huge impact. And, you know, speaking specifically for food, you know, when you walk into those local grocery stores or even, you know, more big box grocery stores and you see that those local aisles, huge percentages almost anybody that you would have seen at third and bird started their business like their very first market got the revenue and then were able to get their product on those shelves and and anytime i go down there i do have a big smile and i am very proud at the platform that third and bird has been able to provide for them i know that um you know big big box uh, grocery stores send their executives and fly people in in the past uh, to do their shopping at Third and Bird and to source out new, um, you know, food producers. And I've, I've seen it in with my own eyes, live action, you know, exchanges happening at the market with executives from grocery stores. And it's, it's a great feeling. Chandra Kremsky. Showcase almost. Wow, that's fascinating. Chandra Kremsky is the founder of Third and Bird, the spring market this weekend at Red River Exhibition Place. It's sold out, but if you want information on the vendors involved, just go to thirdandbird.com to see the dozens of uh, local companies that are going to be there this weekend. Chandra, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, thanks for doing what you do and for giving a platform for all of these uh, wonderful makers and creators to showcase local. Thank you so much. And Loren, we continue our conversation this morning on the vaccine. Yeah, and there's lots of conversations about how the rollouts are going and whether or not we can do better. But there's also questions about how Manitobans might be feeling about some of these vaccines, including the fact that we've had some changing advice when it comes to the AstraZeneca vaccine based on a rare occurrence of blood clots. And in the U.S., we also had them hit pause on Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So this morning... Global News Morning Anchor Gabrielle Marchand was interviewing Jason Kinderchuk, who's a U of M virologist, and asked him this important question. Do we see risk of blood clots with other medication and how does it compare to the risk seen with vaccines? Yeah, this is a great question, right? And certainly we've heard quite a bit of discussion this week about trying to put some of this into context. So when we look at things like oral contraceptives uh, or or hormone uh, replacement therapies, we do see that there are increased risks or at least some risks um, of blood clots in those populations as compared to people that, that aren't taking those particular products. When we think about, though, the comparative back to the, the vaccines, Yes, it, it allows us to put us in, in put all this into context, but we also have to be, um, I think, cognizant and, and aware of the fact that the types of clots are very, very different. And I think that's why um, we are seeing a lot more discussion right now about trying to really understand what the nature of these clots are with with the vaccine. So first of all, establishing that definitive causation. Um, secondly, trying to figure out okay, what what is the the underlying uh, mechanisms through this? Is there some sort of uh, biological context within these patients that are leading to that? And then, of course, you know, how can we actually uh, treat these? So I think that it's, you know, it's good to provide, I think, some context for the risk, but we also have to, uh, you know, be aware that this is that this is very different from from what we're seeing as well. And I think that's why we're also seeing, um, you know, the increased awareness and scrutiny right now uh, in regards to, to to what is being observed. So many experts have weighed in on this, saying that the risks of clotting are higher 
in these cases than from the COVID-19 vaccines themselves. Lots of other places where clotting is an issue. Quote, blood clots are more common with just day-to-day living than they are with any of the vaccines, including the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson. This from Linda Dresser, an infectious disease expert and assistant professor at the University of Toronto. And you've seen that. You've seen the conversation around the birth control pill, Mm -hmm. conversation about the benefit uh, versus the risk. And the numbers are actually quite staggering. And I saw Dr. Fauci on TV yesterday or the day before talking about the fact that they pressed pause on the distribution of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine in the United States. And he says, this just proves that the system is working. We're just very cognizant of the fact that people want these vaccines to be, yes, effective, but also very safe. And they're doing everything they can to balance those things out. And there's that word again, Brett, balance. Mm. And and also just talking, Brett, as we have before, about side effects come with so many medications. And perhaps maybe now that we have our eyeballs on this more than ever, maybe we're paying just more attention. And that's not a bad thing. But so many experts have weighed in and said your risk of everything from, you know, getting hit by a car to just that day-to-day risk of a blood clot are higher than it would be with these vaccines. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We have our winning text at 204-780-6868, gift card, Santa Lucia pizza, based on your collections. The man who inspired this whole conversation this morning, Ian, he's going to join us at 935, talking about his Transformers collection. But uh, Max is our uh, one of our runners-up. Max has interesting collections. I have divots and sand from golf courses and ball diamonds I have visited or played. The old course at St. Andrews, Turnberry's Championship course, the opening hall at... Mac- I can't even say that. <laughs> Prized items are Graham McDowell's divot from the winning hole at the 2010 Ryder Cup in Wales, home plate sand from the Field of Dreams, and very rare sod from Wrigley wow. Field. Whoa, 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 what? I even have the first AstroTurf from that? the old Winnipeg Stadium. Oh, boy. I feel like Max might be climbing some fences in the middle of the night. <laughs> and Max says, unfortunately, I can't send a pic since the yard is under 25 centimeters of snow. That's amazing, Max. Well done. Uh, Daryl's text, Greg, made me laugh out loud a moment ago. Yeah, I've driven the truck for over 30 years. I collected shooter glasses from every state and province I've been over the last 30 years. And while on vacation, I would get shooter glasses from the tourist attractions. Back when my kids were young adults, we would have pool parties and I would make shooters for them. And as I handed the kids the glass, I told uh, them to remember where it was from because if they broke it, they had to go back there and get me another one. I never lost a glass. That's great stuff, Daryl. Thank you for that. As always, this was a difficult decision, but uh, we agreed that Adrian... Who was the first one who texted us this morning with picks? Uh, Adrian Loren is our winner. And it's not that you always have to have picks, but I think you have to see these pictures to just really get his love of Kiss. He texts to say, here's some of my Kiss collection. After I moved out of my house into a small condo, I had nowhere to put much of it, so inside the kitchen cupboard, some of it went. I got into the Kiss stuff kind of accidentally. In the 90s, when I barely knew the band, I was dating a woman who loved them, so I bought us tickets to the 97 reunion concert. We went to a U of M social sometime after that, and I went as that Gene guy, as I called him then. I was surprised at how many people commented on my costume and grew an interest in the band. I collected a few items, and people started buying me Kiss things for my birthday, because Kiss sells anything, as you know. I continued collecting on my own and amassed a good collection. I've seen them in concert 10 times now and have met Paul Stanley in Vegas. And Adrian, not only is that a great story, but his collection includes pillows, with the Gene Simmons tongue, there's at least four or five of those, a bad spread, there's a wall flag, but in that cupboard, there's cups. I think, I really do think it's a Hello Kitty kiss version. I couldn't tell, Brett, but I believe it a, is. Yeah, it's a cupboard filled with things, a bedroom that was filled with things. And, um, as you said, Greg, what was that? At least, at least you know he's committed. He's committed. He's all in. I, yeah. you know, I don't see the problem if you're working and walking your way into a relationship with somebody like that. I think that's a good sign. I'm all in, baby. (laughs) So congratulations, Adrian. You are our winner. And if you want to see Adrian's collection, make sure you go to our 680CJOB Instagram to have a look at those pics. Throughout the morning, we have been talking about your collections, the things you might collect for fun 
or for money or just for something to do. It was inspired by you, our listeners, after I mentioned this on air yesterday. I don't know if you saw this the other day, but uh, for $700 US, you can now buy uh, an Optimus Prime that transforms himself and he talks to you. And I kind of wish I had seven hundred dollars US. Uh, seven hundred dollars. Yeah. Sounds Does like it a also good deal like do the house cleaning? <laughs> Is it all Roomba? Like a like a transforming so Roomba that, that also vacuums? <laughs> seven hundred dollars. Just look it up. It looks really neat. It does look neat, particularly if you were a fan of the original show and the original voice of Optimus Prime. I am Optimus Prime. I've returned. More powerful than ever. Introducing the world's first auto-converting, interactive, voice-enabled, programmable Autobot hero, Optimus Prime. Greetings. The Transformers toy that defined a generation comes to life by the command of your voice or mobile device. I want it so bad, Loren. <laughs> I have to be honest, when I first watched that commercial, I was like skeptical. And then the more I thought about it, I thought that would be really cool to be able to say the command word and then watch. <laughs> Is he a semi? Turn into a semi? Turn back into a robot? I should know this, shouldn't I? He's a semi truck, but no, if you weren't into Transformers, why would you know that? Well, I have kids who are, and I've personally had to turn the Optimus Prime back and forth into its various incarnations and Bumblebee. So shortly after we talked about that robot Transformer thingamajigger <laughs> listener jill texted in to say that's something her husband would love for his upcoming birthday and then she shared why it was a photo of her husband's collection of transformers not just a bin or shelf of them there are dozens of transformers and they're carefully placed in five glass displays each of those are four rows high there's lights that help you see their various features and so of course we had to know more and so this morning we're speaking to the man behind that collection ian mcconnell good morning ian good morning thanks for having me are you happy your wife mentioned this to us i'm very happy (laughs) she mentioned that to you i'm also happy that i have her support in this particular collection as well (laughs) i have to admit ian that was my number one question so jill you're okay with this Oh yeah, I met I met her about ten years ago, and she saw one case back then, and her red flags didn't go off. So ten years <laughs> down the road, and nine more cases, it's collection, and the and the the marriage is going strong. Well, like I said, I think it's a sign of dedication and loyalty when you have a collection that large to one thing dedicated so much space. And Ian, uh, would I be correct in assuming just based on the one picture that I saw that this isn't even relegated to the basement? It seems as though this is on one of, I think Jill said you have a four uh, four level split. Is it, is it uh, on uh, one of the non-subterranean levels? <laughs> That's correct. It takes up the entire third level of our four-level split. Um, there's there's about 200 pieces, and I should clarify, these aren't the, the Transformers you buy at Toys R Us or Walmart. These are what they call the Masterpiece Collection that are geared toward the adult collector that are mostly only available in the Asian market. And they're, ugh, the wife's going to kill me for saying this, but they're hundreds of dollars a piece. Oh, wow, right on. Yeah. a boy. So take us back. Uh, you know, are you like me? When, did you first discover the Transformers when you were a kid? Oh, absolutely. I was 10 years old when the Transformers hit on the shelves for the first time. And um, back when they called the, the Generation 1 toy line, the G1s, I've got all of my toys when I was a kid on display on the bottom row of those pictures. And recently, starting in the um, early 2000s, the car started making the masterpiece line for the adult collectors. So they're just basically redoing all the G1 stuff and I'm hook, line and sinker into this. Why? What do you like about them? Because these are, you're not, are you playing with them or just buying them to, to stare at on the third floor as you nurse a beer or something? At this price point, they come out of the box and into the glass case. I I don't mess around with them. Um, I, it keeps me young. It reminds me of my childhood um, keeps me young at heart. Um, I, when we moved into this house and we were doing, um, people, when we could have people come over, they would come and do the tour of the house and they would stop at this level and tour was over. That's it. They didn't want to see the rest of the house. They just wanted to talk about 
this collection. It's quite the conversation piece. Uh, my buddies make fun of me all the time about it, but uh, I get lots of support when they come over and actually see it. Yeah, the support is interesting because I, I, I'm sitting working from home right now, Ian, and so I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by my stuff, some of my favorite stuff in the world, and every piece has a story behind it. And increasingly, Absolutely. that story involves somebody else purchasing it or acquiring it for me with me in mind. And there's something special about when somebody goes that extra mile in order to do something because they know that you love it so much, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, I'm very easy to buy for at Christmas time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife won't want me to admit it, but uh, she's um, bought quite a few of these for me over the years. So she's, she's just as guilty as I am. We're speaking to Ian McConnell. He is the man who inspired our conversation today about collections. You can see the pictures that Jill sent us on our 680CJOB Instagram of this impressive Transformers collection. And Ian, I can relate to what you're talking about, about this taking you back to your childhood and making you feel young. Because even though I I love Spider-Man and I loved Luke Skywalker, I think... Uh, just as Johnny Lawrence from Karate Kid was the villain of my childhood, Optimus Prime was the hero. I don't know that there's there's a character out there that embodies heroism more than Optimus Prime, which I think is why so many kids who grew up in the 80s have this connection to the Transformers. Oh, yeah, you can't beat Optimus Prime for, for showing people just how to live their life and you know, be good to everyone. He is the number one character that way and Peter Cullen just performs him perfectly. So I, I've got one, two, three versions, four versions of Optimus Prime in the <laughs> masterpiece line. I, I'm glad you're counting them because that's how many do we have in total then that we're talking about are these of the collectible transformers in your glass cage of super emotion. <laughs> there's <laughs> roughly just around 200. 200. There's, wow. There's, there's nine glass display cases. I undercounted looking at the photos. <laughs> yes. Well, no, you heard me. Go ahead, Ian. Like I said, it, it takes up some serious retail space in the, in the house. Well, if you heard me chuckling, I wasn't laughing at you. I was laughing at Loren's description of of the display cases and just this whole notion that that there are varying views on on how to approach this and and the view that other people have, like like you said when you're doing your tour of the house, people, you know, stop in their tracks and tour is over. I can remember being in my grandfather's garage, going through box after box of different things that he collected. And he just, just said to me, Oh God, I hope you don't catch this disease. And I looked at him and I said, grandpa, it's too late. Like I've already, do you see it as a disease or, or is it something that, that uh, you've gotten past that notion that, that it's something that you, that you embrace and and others uh, do the same? I embrace it, but the joke around here is it's called plastic crack. (laughs) (laughs) So are you going to, are you going to get this self-transforming Optimus Prime? I would love to, but it's completely sold out at uh, the HasLab web- website, and the only place I can find it now, it's double the price. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah. So that's the only barrier here, Ian, is is accessibility and availability? Otherwise, you would uh, have this? Well, as much as my wife supports this, I do like to stay married, so I yeah. probably am going to have to pass on that one. Oh, but here's the thing, this one, this we're, what we're talking about here, this robot, um, or that self-transforms when you use your voice, you have to play with that. You can't keep that one in a case. That would have to be on your main level, like doing your dishes or something, don't you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, you definitely want to show that one off, but I w- it would probably end up behind glass eventually. Mm-hmm. Do you ever hear Ian's dis-ease with that He didn't like that. He's like, why are you, no, touching, my, why are you touching my transformer, Loren? Do you ever let do you ever let your buddies play with these things? Like when they come over and they look, do they ever say, "Can you please open the case? I want to see this Metroplex." Uh, well, Metroplex is in the case, but uh, no, they always bug me. They say, "Oh, let's play your Transformers." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." I have a couple of young nephew, nephews that come over and they just drool in front of the cases, and I have to Windex everything down when they leave. 
Um, no, no touch. <laughs> Even I don't touch them. I bring them out once a year to dust them, and that's it. <laughs> I well, love having to, having to have the rules with the the kids when they come over. Okay, now this area you can play in. This area you can play the musical instruments. Over there you do not touch a thing. You can look, but you cannot yeah. touch. And you have to have the rules, of course. Uh, this is just so much fun, Ian. Thanks for sharing this with us so openly. And uh, what's next? If you're not going to get this this robot vacuum thing, have you got something on your hit list that you're that you're trying to acquire? Something you're looking for? Always acquiring more stuff. Uh, the wife doesn't know this yet, but I pre-ordered something yesterday. Oh. <laughs> See, there's a whole other show we have to do here, guys. It's the spouses of collectors. We need to, instead of the real housewives of whatever, it can be the real housewives yeah. of collectors or something like that. And like I said at the beginning, without her support and all the the support of all the other collectors, these things just don't happen, right? Well, Ian McConnell, we appreciate you taking some time to tell us about your collection. And uh, I understand, according to my barber, Joe, that we both go Joe. to Tony's Barbershop. Absolutely. Been going there forever. <laughs> Ian, right on. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate this, bud. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. And again, if you want to take a peek at the collection, go to our 680 CJOB Instagram and have a look at the pictures that Jill sent us yesterday morning. And thanks for all the pics you've sent today on your collections. Uh, just amazing stuff. I've put a bunch of those pictures up on our Instagram. Oh, yeah! Forte has pulled out the Transformers theme from the cartoon movie from the 80s. The one where they dared to kill Optimus Prime. What were they thinking? Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.